continuing the completed classics. Hello and welcome to the first and hopefully last lost episode of the follow-up showdown. Uh, I am your host, Paul Getz, and uh, well, this was a full episode that we recorded with some fabulous guests. However, unfortunately, we tried a new microphone setup, and long story short, it, it didn't quite work out. So today I will be recounting everything I could recall about uh, that night and that episode, uh, as well as what I have written down in my notes here to help me along. Now, how am I going to do that without being incredibly boring? Well, my girlfriend, Kim Seltzer, is joining me today uh, in an effort to let me know if I'm being boring and, and try to keep me from, from, from doing that. Uh, Kim, are, are you ready? Yeah, can I, um, I have a note already. <laughs> you, you said you're going to recount everything that you can remember from that night and that episode? Yes. What do you mean, that the whole night? That has nothing to do with the episode? I mean, I think that there's some pertinent details to be shared. You know, you'll you'll see. You'll okay, see. I'm doubtful, but yeah. You're yeah, blocking fine. the microphone with your chips and water also. Well, there's not a lot of space here. I, I just, and you picked a really bad seat uh for this yeah because i wanted to uh encourage you not to make it too long okay well that's why i picked the seat yeah I, you know i think and it's gonna be too long for chips. your taste no matter what okay so the reason that i'm recounting this episode at all is just because we're not going to be able to do it again uh and we watched a bad movie for it and i want the credit for all of us uh, the movie that we did was 1985's The Jewel of the Nile, sequel to the 1984 Robert Zemeckis film Romancing the Stone, starring Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. And our guests were a, a pair of very on-theme adventurer explorers, Bethany Guerrero and Drew Unser. You know them, right, Kim? Yeah, what'd they say when you told them you lost the episode? Oh, they said, all the more reason to record another one. No worries, my friend. Got to work out kinks in every new project. Wow, so, that's really nice. Yeah, very nice. Very nice people. Not only are they nice people, they are also the hosts of a web travel show of sorts called Oddity Odysseys, in which they explore hard to uh, traverse, lesser known or otherwise exciting locales in and around the California area. I've never missed an episode and it's pretty great. Um, yeah, it is really good. Yeah, they're they're really good, and they're, they they host as well as anybody on any of those travel shows. They're very very charming. So another another reason that this is a bit very sad loss. Okay, so some announcements made at the top of the episode before we start getting into the movies. In our last podcast, I, I brought up the idea that we haven't gotten a good sequel, uh, twenty years later sequel, like a sequel made so long after the first one. When we were recording this podcast, Travis brought up Blade Runner 2049 as a sequel that did do that successfully, and I totally agree. So I redact my original statement and give credit to mm -hmm. Travis for that, so. Okay. This was the first episode where we announced Lauren as a official host of the show. So I guess I can read the little speech that I made, or does that sound boring? Yeah. 
Okay. Well, anyways, Lauren <laughs> is an official host of the show now. You wrote it down? I did. Well, I wrote, yeah, this is, these are my notes left over from when we did the episode. How long is the speech? It's, it's short. Two sentences. No, that's not a speech. <laughs> you you want to hear it or not? <laughs> yeah, I guess only two sentences. Okay. I am thrilled to so announce for the- my chips while you say it. Great. Uh, and I'm thrilled to announce for the first time as an official host of the show, our indispensable third wheel, the barrel to our lock and stock, the Ralph to our Jack and Joan, if you will, Lauren Picorni. I don't get it. Right. Okay. So yes, uh, th maybe this is a good time for me to, uh, since we don't have Travis here, I'm going to try to do the uh, two Travis McMaster minutes and uh, explain everything that happens in both movies very quickly. Okay. So are you ready? Are you willing? Can you time me? Yeah, let me try here. I'll, yeah, I'll set I'll set you up here. Okay, go. Okay, Kathleen Turner plays Joan Wilder. She's a romance novelist, bored with her life. She gets a call, uh, or no, she gets a package from her dead brother-in-law, which include it contains a map. Uh, a, an evil general comes to her apartment and kills her landlord, trying to find the map. She then gets a call from her sister that she's being held ransom for the map, and she has to come get a collector. She's being uh, uh, held captive by two cousins, Ira and Ralph. Ralph is played by Danny DeVito. Kathleen Turner gets there to try to get her sister. Uh, the general misleads her, puts her on the wrong bus, uh, which is taking her out into the the wild of Columbia. Uh, the bus crashes into a car being driven by Michael Douglas. His character's Jack Colton. He's an adventurer and he's a bird salesman. He helps her to get away from the general. They bond. She agrees to pay him to get her safely through the, through the countryside. Uh, over the course of the film, he finds out about the map and the treasure that it leads to and has some interest in that. And so uh, while they are sort of falling in love, it becomes questionable whether or not he will do the right thing by her uh, and help her get her sister back or whether he'll make off with the treasure. They ultimately do get her sister back. Danny DeVito gets arrested, but his cousin gets away. The general gets killed and the diamond, uh, the jewel that they're all after, gets eaten by a crocodile. In the end, Jack goes after the crocodile to try to get the diamond. Uh, uh, Kathleen Turner goes back to her life uh, and then finds out that he comes back to her, uh, having sold the diamond for a boat that they can sail around the world in. Jewel of the Nile, the sequel, is about uh, six months into their sailing around the world. Yeah, 20 uh, seconds. Oh my God. Don't tell me that. I I, I, I need that time. Uh, uh, oh shit. Uh, she is, uh, is approached by a uh, Arab uh, ruler who wants her to write his biography. Jack doesn't want her to go, but she goes anyway. She uh, it turns out the ruler is evil and he's lying to her about uh, uh, his policies and stuff like that. The cell that the, uh, the time. <sighs> okay, this is much harder than I give Travis credit for. Anyways, I tried my best. Uh, the Jewel of the Nile is 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 not a good movie, uh, and so that one matters less than the first one. So moving on to my notes about the first movie. Uh, this was Lauren's pick. She's a big fan of this movie, Romancing the Stone. I had not seen it before, but I, I agree, it's pretty charming. I think I think I think that you would like it. I think I told you that when I watched it. Yeah, I don't think I'll watch it though. Yeah, okay. Some interesting notes on this movie. It was the only produced screenplay from the writer Diane Thomas. She had been working as a waitress in Malibu when Michael Douglas optioned her script for $250,000, allowing her to quit her job. Sadly, Thomas died in a car accident 
while she was working on her next project, which was with Steven Spielberg and would eventually become the movie Always. She died in a car accident driving a Porsche that Michael Douglas bought for her as Whoa. a thank you for the movie. Yeah, pretty sad. Oh, that is sad. Yeah. The director of the movie was Robert Zemeckis. Studio executives were so sure that the film would flop that him even being involved in it got him preemptively fired from directing Cocoon, which he was also signed on for, and he was replaced with Ron Howard. However, Romancing the Stone turned out to be Fox's biggest success that year, which allowed Zemeckis to sort of get carte blanche, and the next year he was able to make his own personal project, Back to the Future. Mm. So we have Romancing the Stone ultimately thank for Back to the Future, mm, which is thanks, pretty cool. Thanks. Yeah, you like Back to the Future. You yeah, should be more like excited about that. Yeah, but I don't need to know someone's whole journey. I just want to see their good movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, actor's notes on that movie. Michael Douglas uh, was intrigued by the script primarily because it was an opportunity to exhibit his rock climbing skills <laughs> that he had honed as a teenager. And he does. He really does. There's one moment in the movie in which he's climbing what almost looks like a flat wall and he falls halfway down and is able to catch himself with just his grip. So pretty, pretty good rock climbing skills. Yeah, but it's not cool because it's like it could have been a stuntman. But it was like it was like he just wanted to show off to the people on set. Well, and the end of the world. I mean, but the world doesn't know you and like, I guess your listeners know. And now me. Well, maybe, but maybe in interviews, he was like, you know, that's really me doing that up there. I would argue I love Danny DeVito, as you know, uh, but I would argue that Ralph is a totally unnecessary character in this movie. Because he's not really the bad guy, and you're kind of seems like you're supposed to root for him, but then he gets arrested in the end anyway. He's it's really just kind of a mess of a character. But he does have a really great piece of physical comedy where he's trying to take a wanted poster of himself down and he falls over a counter. It's pretty great. Nice. <laughs> this is all from the episode? I, we did definitely talk about all this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure you're staying on track. Seems like it's been half hour already. Well, it hasn't. Um, also, just as an aside, uh, for the original Minute with McMaster that we recorded for this podcast, uh, Travis, for the first time after some criticism of all of his Minute with McMasters, mostly from me, mm -hmm. uh, Travis tried writing down what he wanted to say for his minute, because normally he just goes off the cuff. Yeah. But he also messed that up, in my opinion, because all he wrote was like a little synopsis that ended with like, a, will they make it out alive? Rather oh. than recounting yeah, everything that happens. Exactly. He didn't give a summary. He just gave a synopsis. And he didn't even do it for the second one. So. Well, I'm glad we can take this opportunity to criticize him when he can't defend himself. Well, I criticized him then, and I just, yeah, it would have been part of the episode anyway, so I don't feel so bad about that. Um, all right, moving on to The Jewel of the Nile, the movie that we're all here to talk about, or we were there to talk about. While The Romancing the Stone has a 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, Jewel of the Nile has a 48% and deserves every bit of that failure. It was a commercial success, ultimately, profitable movie, but uh, panned by critics, and deservedly so. So the origin of this movie is kind of interesting. Fox. <laughs> kind of. Well, okay. It's, well, uh, let's get into it. I find it quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fox, like I said, Romancing the Stone was their biggest movie of 1984. They were not having a, uh, they were having a tough time at the time. So they wanted another hit. So in order to get a sequel to Romancing the Stone made as soon as possible, they exercised a sequel option in the contracts of both Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner, who were essentially forced to do the sequel to the movie right away. Kathleen Turner in particular was resistant. She had script approval and during pre-production, she tried to quit the movie and was threatened with a $25 million lawsuit, which essentially forced her to stay on board. Mm, messed up. Yeah, really messed up. And uh, really, I think the main thing that works really, really well about Romancing the Stone is that the chemistry between the two of those leads is what I would call electric. It really works for me. Didn't work for Travis and Lauren, which is insane. But Drew and Bethany were definitely on my side uh, when it came to that. But sure. And also Lauren likes it. So I don't know why she would like it if she didn't think they had chemistry. But whatever. They definitely do in the first one. And then in the second one, it is just gone. They. It's almost like you can tell they hate each other. They spend most they of the... Well, I don't know if they hit each other in real life because they go on to make another movie together, uh, The War of the Roses, but in that movie, they play a married couple that hates each other. So I guess it's possible. Either way, they, they spend a lot of the movie just kind of having them fighting so that they can't be romantic together. So they're just squabbling about different things throughout. And then at the end, they get back together. But it's like, by that point, who cares? It's kind of like a Ross and Rachel situation where it's like, if you're just going to make each other miserable, I don't want you together type of thing. Yeah, but I did want them to end up together. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess I did at the time, but yeah. I just in retrospect, I think it was the wrong move. Well, in retrospect, there's a lot of problems, but you still ultimately want them to end up together. Really? I, I would say I would say I don't feel that way anymore. Well, okay. Anyway, back to Jewel of the Nile. Robert Zemeckis did not return to direct. He was busy with Back to the Future. So directing went to Louis Teague, best known for The Lady in Red and Cujo. Um, and he was simultaneously making the movie Cat's Eye, another Stephen King project at, at that same time. Diane Thomas was still alive when this movie was written, but she was busy with Steven Spielberg. So the writing of Jewel of the Nile went to Mark Rosenthal and Lawrence Koner, who would go on to work on Star Trek VI and Superman IV. So completely different sensibilities going on. Yeah, all into so this. boring. Those movies? Yeah, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you would like those movies, yeah. for sure. Uh, Danny DeVito was only in the sequel because it was in his contract that uh, that he had to be given the opportunity to be in the sequel. And while, I, as I said, he doesn't work in the first movie, he has absolutely no reason to be in the second movie, so... Too much contract talk. Okay, all right, moving on. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Last, eh, it's not a fun fact, but uh, also... Mm. Hmm? I just said, mm. it's not going to be fun. <laughs> well, it's a, it's another sad fact. Not only did the original screenwriter of Romancing the Stone die before this movie, the sequel premiered, three members of the production team, the production designer and the production manager all died in a plane crash, crash while scouting locations in Morocco Whoa. for Jewel of the Nile. Oh, so it was cursed. So it was, yeah. Quite a, it was a very problematic production, that's for sure. Well, isn't it kind of nice that the writer died because then they didn't have to see if he's such a plot? I suppose, but she didn't write it, so it wouldn't have affected her at all. Uh, I mean, I guess her legacy. I guess it's usually not that nice when someone dies. No, not nice. Very, very tragic, for sure. 
Um, okay, so in terms of uh, existing sequels, there was meant to be a third installment called The Crimson Eagle, which would have been about Jack and Joan, along with their two children, going to Thailand and being blackmailed into stealing a professor's statue. It was put into development and, and never made. So that's just... Okay. There for, <laughs> that's just... <laughs> there for Coffee. listeners who would be interested in that. Okay, so then moving into uh, the pitches that we made uh, on that night. I asked everybody in the circle, should there have been a sequel to Romancing the Stone at all? I what'd they say? <laughs> oh my God, what'd they say? I believe it was a unanimous no. Uh, uh, it has a really nice ending tied up in a lovely bow. You don't really need anything else. So that's what I would- Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah, doesn't any... need another movie. Doesn't need a podcast. Okay, so then the question of should it be a prequel or a sequel? If you're going to do a sequel, I believe most people said sequel. However, Drew and myself had prequel pitches. Drew's only pitch, I believe, was a sequel, a prequel about about Joan's brother-in-law who sent her the treasure map in the first place and who was married to the uh, the sister who was kidnapped. His name was Eduardo, and we just don't really ever get to learn anything about him. So Drew's proposal was that there be a prequel about that character called Romancing Eduardo. But, uh, Good name. That was his proposal. Yes, and yeah, I, I enjoy that name. And I think I would have enjoyed that movie. I mean, not much to go on, but definitely seemed like a super interesting person. Uh, it's okay you know, in bed with some criminals, perhaps, but, uh, you know, mm, treasure hot. maps to, to jewels and stuff like that. That's, that's, it's pretty intriguing. <clears throat> My prequel proposal was just sort of a base idea of, <clears throat> <laughs> relax of, uh, the story of Ira and Ralph. All I really had for that was a title, which was cousins in cahoots. Oh yeah. I don't like it. Why? Doesn't even sound like a movie. What movie sounds like that? Oh, um, Nuns on the Run. Yeah, a movie I've never heard of. Well, it's a movie, so anyways, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha, <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna watch it. I None of these are real. Oh, Nuns on the Run? No, I meant you were, well, yeah, I'm not gonna watch that either. Okay, that's fine. I don't, I don't think it's supposed to be very good. I think it's about uh, male criminals who dress up as nuns to escape the law. Okay. Could have fit right into Cousins and Cahoots. Moving on, <laughs> um, let's get right into the pitches uh, so that I can stop boring you even though this is an oh, impossible task. Oh, we just did task. get right into the pitches. Well, that was the prequel pitches. Now we're moving into the real pitches. Lauren's pitch, I believe, caught up with them while they were sailing, mid-sailing around the world and back again. I know Jack got kidnapped by some evildoers and then it was, in that it was up to Joan to on her own find him, track him down, and save him, and she called it "Romancing Alone." Mm, should have been named "Romancing the Joan." Hmm. I like "Romancing Alone" more. No. To be honest. Come on. Let me get a pitch in here. "Romancing the Joan." <laughs> well, what's your pitch? Um, it's me. I play Joan. <laughs> you play the same character. Uh huh. Okay, so it's a prequel. Okay. Okay. What happens? Hmm. Well, let me hear some of the, your pitches and then I'll take the best stuff from them. All right. 
Travis's was a modern sequel that took takes place today with an older Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner and it involved them as their characters behind the scenes of a movie being made of the novel written by the character Joan at the end of Romancing the Stone. So basically a fictional movie being made about their characters and behind the scenes there's some sort of criminal activity going on that they're that they're trying to avoid or, or circumvent while the other movie is being filmed. And it was called Hollywood Diamonds. Not a good title, but pitch is okay. Hmm. Okay, nice. You like that one? Cool. <laughs> Bethany's pitch was an untitled Romancing the Stone sequel co-starring Jessica Lange in which it was about... Untitled Jessica Lange project? Yeah, that's kind of how it would have written down. Um... <laughs> And it was about another woman who's a little bit more like Jack and sort of having his adventurous style coming in and it having to be a thing where she's trying to steal Jack away from Joan and Joan sort of like gets herself into trouble uh, trying to prove herself the more courageous, uh, adventurous and capable uh, of the two women, I believe, which I thought that was pretty good. Okay. Um, however, the winning pitch was mine. And just in case anybody listening is keeping track, this makes two victories for me. I'm a bit on a bit of a roll. Oh, mark your scorecards, everyone. <laughs> Everyone's writing it down. Well, I'm just saying anyone who, who is keeping track, that's two for me. Two have gone to guests and one victory has gone to Travis. So, you know, I, I don't really keep track of those things, but anybody who does keep track of those things, uh, it's... Me too, Travis one. Anyway, uh, moving on into what my pitch was. I have the, you know, full thing written out here. What? Everyone else gets a short summary and you get of just your memory and then you get this whole long thing. Well, first of all, I won. Stands to reason mine's the one that should be heard. Yeah, when the winner makes the rules, that's how the rules go. Okay. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. I, so... How about this? I will do an abbreviated version of my pitch from what I can remember, and you, for some extra fun, can tell me your pick of the winner. Yeah, as long as it's brief. Yes, it's it'll better. all be brief. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so mine takes place about six months after they've sailed around the world and back again, which is a phrase that they use throughout the movie. It's um, a phrase or it's a plan? Well, it's their plan, but they use the phrase around the world and back again. Multiple times, David. I mean, yeah, a little bit. So, uh, okay, so it's six months after they've done their adventures. Jack has settled into domestic life a little bit more uh, than Joan expected. He's a little too comfortable. He doesn't seem to want to do the adventure stuff anymore, whereas she has this itch to do it that he's kind of ignoring. He's gotten fat. Maybe a little bit, yeah. Maybe a little pudgeo. Based on the way Michael Douglas looks in the second one, he's all like tanned and he's always wearing like Miami Vice suits for no reason. I think he I think he's a little superficial, so I don't know if he would have liked that. But anyway, yeah, okay. So Jack is like overly domesticated. Then this publisher slash nonfiction author, Rex Corwin, who I, I picture being played by Michael Keaton. Burt Reynolds is my backup. Uh, mustache. Burt Reynolds, yeah, but not Michael yeah. Keaton. Uh, yeah, I guess Keaton with a mustache. It's perfect. So he approaches Joan, like offers her a book deal, but asks her to like part of the book deal is that she has to go to these exotic locales that he wants the book set in. 
uh, with him. She talks to Jack about it. Turns out this Rex guy is an old rival of Jack's. And I want to do a bit in there where his most famous book includes the sto a story of a time that Rex bested Jack in some adventure they were doing. So Jack looks like a fool in it. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack's kind of a jerk about it, which prompts Joan uh, even more so to go. So she goes off with Rex and Jack follows, sort of like tries to keep an eye on them, make sure things are above board. Maybe even does some like things where he tries to sabotage uh, their good time together, mm -hmm. but they all backfire. So, you know, a lot of the movie is mm -hmm. these sort of like Abusive comedic sequences. Boyfriend. Well, just an immature man. Yeah. Who doesn't never really been in a yeah, long term relationship. Yeah. But, you know, that's yes. Yes. Toxic. Yes. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So eventually he sort of realizes he was wrong, tries to approach uh, Joan and apologize. And as soon as he does, it's revealed that like Rex's guys kidnap him. And it turns out a lot, a lot of this was just sort of staged to bring Jack out of hiding. So Rex could nab him and hand him over to this, like some sort of powerful tyrant, like a sheik or something that they, they both wronged in the past, but who, who wanted Jack more as like a bargaining chip. So, Jack ends up in captive. Joan has to save him. She breaks in, saves him. They have to escape uh, the tyrant and ultimately Rex. In the end, Rex falls down a chasm or something. You don't quite know what happened to him, but he's he's out of the picture, at least for the end of the movie. And then, uh, yeah. And then I'm thinking that there's an epilogue where Jack and Joan have a baby and Jack, thinking that Joan still wants the adventurous lifestyle, makes some comment about taking the baby to uh, Columbia or something. And Joan instantly turns on him. Our baby is never going anywhere near that hellhole. Do you understand me? We live a normal, safe lives from now on. You got that? Uh, then she sort of calms down and says, Jack, do you think you'll miss the adventure? And Jack says, honey, you're all the adventure I could ever handle. So that's basically the movie I had. Um, it, the title is Between a Rock and a Stone. Hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. So which one do you like the best? Um, titles across the board, not great. <laughs> well, um, I, that wasn't, a, I didn't ask I'd that say, question. <laughs> but I would say um, probably the Hollywood one sounds the best. Travis's pitch. Yeah. Romancing the Hollywood. Well, I... You know what, I, to be honest with you, I agree. Looking at these as, as just sort of base pitches, I'm that one was probably the most captivating in my opinion. So yeah. for your money, Hollywood Diamonds by Travis McMaster is the winner. Yeah, uh, but if I'm investing or producing, I'm gonna require a title change. Fair enough, fair enough. But, and also, you know, for our listeners, keeping in mind that when it was put to a room full of five people in the first place, you know, my pitch between a rock and a stone, it won. Okay, yeah, I don't think it, um, it's really fair to say who the winner was because not everyone got to hear my pitch of romancing the Joan and that could have won. I suppose that's yeah. true. Yes. So yeah, I guess, I guess it's up in the air is the conclusion. No winner, no clear winner, but probably leaning towards romancing the Joan. Very good. Well, I really appreciate your help today. I guess th that's all I need to say about this episode. I am sorry we didn't have it for you, uh, this week, but we will have... <laughs> We will have Drew and Bethany on for a future episode. They've already chosen a movie that they want to do, so we're very excited about that. Announce the movie! Announce the movie! Oh, what's you talking about? Why won't he try it? Well, I just don't know when we're going to do it, so I don't want to, like, whet anybody's appetite way too early, you know? Okay. <laughs>
Anyway, um, uh, we will have them back on, and we're and we're and we're very much looking forward to that. In the meantime, do yourselves a favor and check out Oddity Odysseys. You can find that on YouTube or at OddityOdysseys.com. Next week's going to be a regular one, and hopefully we won't have this kind of trouble again. Thank you, Kim, for helping to keep things moving along. Yeah. And uh, I hope those chips are as delicious as they sound. Mm, yeah, they're pretty good. Cool, cool. Not hot anymore. All right, well, uh, thanks again. Have a good one. <laughs> Why are you waving at the screen? We're waving at the mic. Yeah, that's weird. On the next follow-up showdown. Today's selection, 1994's The Return of Jafar. How do we feel about the movie? Lauren, this was your first viewing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, it was, uh, I did not think it was good. 